Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, a podcast for high school, college, and university students about making the most out of academic life. We touch on study skills, student life, career transition, overall well-being, personal development, and other topics that impact young adults. At the end of each podcast, we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt. We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Fow, the founder and CEO of Fow Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode is about the art of writing a literary essay, something a little different than a research paper. For students accustomed to essays that require a lot of research, citations, and arguments on a specific topic, writing English for for English 101 or grade 12 English can be a real puzzle. This type of essay necessitates a more in-depth analysis of a particular text, or oftentimes only an excerpt of a text. At first glance, this may seem easy, but it's actually quite difficult and requires a high level of analytical and strong writing skills. We thought this topic would be helpful to our listeners who are attempting their first literary analysis in university or are in grade 11 or 12 and trying to complete their English class essays. Remember that writing is a practice and it takes time and effort to improve. So this week's guest is Natalia Hunter. She is a new coach at FAO Academic Writing and she has a master's in English from Wilfrid Laurier University and also a bachelor's of English and medieval studies while pursuing graduate school. She was also a teaching assistant for the Laurier English department led several weekly tutorials and worked closely with many students to assist them in writing their papers and understanding the course material. Um, She cares a lot about good writing and critical thinking skills and her own experience as a TA and also a graduate student have made her into a great coach here at FAO. So We look forward to talking to her today and her giving us some advice to you students out there who are maybe taking a mandatory English class or you're thinking of becoming an English major or like I said you're in grade 12 and those English grades really matter a lot to get into university. So welcome to our podcast Breathe In Right Out Natalia. Hi thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your own educational experience. Why, why did you decide to pursue an English degree? And also, why did you come to Canada? Because you're originally not from Canada. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm originally from the UK. Um, so I came over here in 2014. Um, I actually came over here because uh, my mom did her Master's of Education at Western. Um, and so that's why we came to Ontario specifically. Um, and then I decided to do my BA at Laurier 
And um, I decided to focus on English literature because um, I really enjoyed reading when I was younger and it's still a massive hobby of mine. Um, and I just, I just wanted to, to kind of dig deeper into something on an academic level and personally as well. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do kind of career-wise at the time, but um, it was just kind of a, I, I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to continue in academia um, and I wanted to focus on something that I was passionate about. So um, that's why I, I chose to do English. Yeah. Cool. Do you remember, you said you like to read a lot. Do you remember the first book you read or the first book that made an impression? Um, I don't remember the first book, but I was, I was a big Harry Potter kid. Um, <laughs> that was, that was my generation. Um, I remember going to like the midnight releases of the new books and um, that was a big part of my childhood. So that definitely was something that shaped my love for reading. Yeah. Cool. So, so since you're a Harry Potter kid, what did you think, this is, you know, kind of off topic, but interesting. <laughs> what, how did you think about um, the movies? Were they, I never read the books. I only watched the movies. Were they, you know, was the, I can't think of the correct word, but you know, people complain that, oh, I read the book, the movie is not the same. Yeah. Yeah, I would say absolutely hands down, read the books. Um, they're always going to be the best in my eyes because there's just so much detail that they can't put on the screen. Um, but I do like the movies. I think that they did a great adaptation um, and there's just something magical about them too in a different way to the books. Um, so I'm happy with I'm happy with the movies, but I'm always going to recommend the books. Yeah. <laughs> and why? And what? What about that series? Other than it being popular, really kind of spoke to you. Mm -hmm. I think it was just like I I've always been into um, fantasy and, and magic. Um, that's always been something that I've really enjoyed. I'm not sure if it's just kind of, um, I think that's kind of tied to my interest in medieval studies as well, this kind of historical aspect to it. Um, and I think kind of growing up in the UK and, and being around sort of, you know, historical buildings and castles, and that's just kind of like very much part of my childhood growing up. And, and we would go on school trips and places, you know, with my family and stuff. And so I think like the magical aspect of it really pulled me in. Um, and I think it's just, that's, I actually remember like my sister read the books first um, and I was really upset because she's older than me and she was paying attention to the books <laughs> and not me. So I remember being so upset when I was sort of like five or six. Um, and I was like, what is the big deal about these books? So I decided to read it and I fell in love with it. And now I love it even more than she does. <laughs> so that was kind of how that came about. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So kind of back to the academic stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I have a political science degree, so I'm more used to like the social science way of writing papers, which requires right. research and even people do quantitative and qualitative mm -hmm. analysis. Um, what would you say is the difference between that and writing an English paper? Yeah, so there's, there's a big difference. Um, so especially with like the social sciences, like you said, it's qualitative, quantitative. There's so many different research methods. Um, you're focusing on experiments, studies conducted. Um, with English, the, the evidence that you're looking for is within the text itself. Um, so when you're researching, you're not going to, to look out for, for other evidence to include in your argument. Um, what you right. do when you research an English paper is you're looking at other scholarly opinions about the text. Um, and the main reason why you do that in English is to sort of ground your argument with everybody else's opinions. You want to make sure that you have like a full scope of what the topic entails. Um, and that can kind of shape your argument. You can either 
disagree or agree with kind of what the, the scholarly opinion is out there. So um, it's definitely a, a massive difference to a regular research paper for social sciences. Um, and there's definitely kind of, you know, techniques and skills that you have to develop to, to know how to do um, research for English papers. And it's also dependent on um, how popular or how old a book is. Um, so, you know, something, a Victorian novel is going to have a lot more out there than a novel published in the last few years. Um, so that's another kind of difficulty that you have to face when researching for an English paper as well. Yeah. So what's an example of a topic for an English research paper? So um, I think a good example is um, if you're looking into um, Jane Eyre, for example, um, a classic Victorian novel. Um, and there's so much out there. There's been so much research done. There's entire books compiling scholarly opinions and journals about it. Um, so that's in itself, if you were you know, a first year student, you were tasked with a research paper on Jane Eyre, where do you start? That's, that's so overwhelming. Um, so with English, especially, I think it's, it's good to have some kind of angle to come into first. That's when your initial kind of understanding and working of the text comes into play because you need to know what angle you're going in with. So say if you're going to do like a, a gendered reading of Jane Eyre and you're going to focus on um, feminist theories, then you would start kind of looking up the keywords when you search up, you know, articles about Jane Eyre, you want to look other things that include feminist theory, um, things about how the female characters are treated. Um, you want to make sure that you're focusing on a specific angle rather than just going in and, and looking at so many different options. Um, so that's something that can definitely help kind of ease the process a bit. And then, I mean, even that is broad. How, how do you narrow it down even more? Like, I mean, a feminist analysis of Jane Eyre is, already, is like, mm -hmm. you know, a book. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you would then sort of narrow it down, uh, mild spoilers, um, that Bertha, the, the mad woman in the attic, um, if you're going to be talking about the, the treatment of her, um, then you could sort of look into um, so many different aspects of, uh, you know, confinement, women being confined, um, the, the gender stereotypes and the roles that were placed mm -hmm. hey whoever's editing this video we're going to redo the question because we lost the connection so so you know a feminist approach to Jane Eyre that is still very broad I mean you could basically write a couple books on that so how mm -hmm. could a student narrow that down even further yeah so I think um, a good way to narrow that down is to um, especially if you want to only write about one character I think because there's, there's so much to write about it's, it's good to focus on one character so say for example you're going to write about um, Bertha um, you could talk about um, the, the gender roles um, in Victorian society and in trapped women, um, because obviously there's so much to do with the, the society and the context around when that was written as well. Um, those are really important elements to bring into it. So you need to, to consider um, what were the, the roles and the expectations of women. Um, and so what does that mean for why, you know, why is Bertha being locked up in the attic? 
um, why is Mr. Rochester hiding this wife? Why is he talking to this other woman? You know, discussing those sort of gender roles um, and the relationships between the people, um, that could be an interesting aspect to uh, go into it. So it's, it's good to have sort of a specific thing you want to talk about in mind um, and kind of go from there. But sometimes your research can take you different places um, with the characters of Bertha specifically that there's, you know, the racial aspect to it too. So um, it's really important to sort of be aware of all the different kinds of um, perceptions and, and theories that you can include in your research. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, it sounds like you're also putting that novel in a historical context. So would you look yes. at both literary sources and, um, history or like what kinds of sources would a student use? Yeah, a, a student would use um, secondary sources. So typically not um, first sources and that it wouldn't be anything from the historical period. Um, perhaps like that could be relevant, but probably more for senior classes. Um, so I think most students would be using secondary sources um, from sort of, you know, a contemporary modern time looking back on the context of the novel. Um, but it is important to keep that historical aspect in mind, yeah. Okay, so basically you're focusing on the text and mm -hmm. then what other scholars have written about the text and then you're trying to do what? Agree or disagree with those scholars? Find a, a different approach? Like, how do you make it? Yeah, so especially sort of as you develop in your English degree, the, the more... Um, senior classes, you will be required to have an original take, something that isn't, hasn't already been said. Um, but definitely in the earlier years, it is more about um, having an awareness of what's being said and either finding sources to agree with what you are arguing or disagreeing with the sources out there already. Um, so it definitely varies as you sort of develop um, across the degree, but definitely in the early years, um, it's more just being aware, having a scope of what's out there um, and being able to read other people's opinions and take on the most important parts and engage with that critically as well um, to be able to assert not just your own interpretation but also engage with other people's interpretations too. Mm -hmm. And so are there any journals or databases when you go into the, the public library or university mm -hmm. libraries that are particularly helpful? Yeah so I really liked the MLA database. Um, and so that's uh, that's a common one that a lot of English students use. Um, and it's also got like a really good system of looking up keywords as well. Um, and you can sort of, uh, if you do the, um, put the keywords in quotation marks and then the and, um, that's a good way to combine your keywords when you're searching. Um, so that's a good database that has a lot of um, information as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's great. That's really helpful, practical advice. So. Mm -hmm. If you, I mean, you've already given a lot of advice, a lot of resources, talked about how to break down a, an English essay topic. Mm -hmm. If there were three things, like three tips you would mm -hmm. give a first year student, or maybe even yourself when you were a first year student that you think would help you succeed through your degree, what would those be? Mm -hmm. So I think an important tip um, would be to continually ask yourself the so what question. Um, and this is just kind of something that um, is, is good to sort of remind yourself as you're writing, 
um, when you're stating something, ask yourself at the end of that sentence, so what? Uh, what it, what's the point of saying this? Um, and that gets you engaging and pushing further to be able to answer your own so what questions so that you know when you hand in that that essay um the the professor's not like what does this mean what like how can you extend this analysis further you're already asking yourself that um and that doesn't mean that you have to continually explain every single thing that you say but it's just a good way to get in the mindset of continually pushing your ideas yeah okay. yeah um so i think that's that's sort of a that's a good basic sort of thing in the thinking process um i think another tip um it's so important to have a strong introduction because that really sets sort of the, the tone of the rest of the essay. Um, and with that, you want to be able to um, have a strong opening. And I think a lot of students um, kind of put redundant statements. Um, I, I don't know if it's because they sort of panic and don't know how to start the essay. And so they just kind of say a general statement, um, which can be a good technique to, to get words on the page. Uh, but always make sure to go and take that out. Um, because I know from my experience as a TA, um, I would read assignments and they would sort of start with uh, reading is a popular hobby. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but that's, that means nothing in the context of, you know, they, like that's irrelevant. So those kind of generalized statements of, um, we read books and books tell stories. Um, that's not, that's irrelevant. And especially because first year assignments um, have so few words. Uh, the word count is really restrictive. They're really short assignments. You wanna make sure that everything you're saying um, means something and it goes towards your analysis that, you know, it's really important to be concise. Um, and right. so you don't wanna waste your time with sort of random statements like that. So you wanna get this, to the point what's quickly. Examples of better hook? the start of an essay? I think if it, it depends on the, on the topic. And I quite often like to, when, when I'm writing essays to kind of contextualize what I'm going to be talking about rather than just saying this text or this book. Um, but I think something that is interesting is a good opening sentence that includes the topic that you were discussing. Um, and so you can kind of keep it general, but um, I think it's good to contextualize maybe the time period or the genre that you're discussing, um, you know, if, if there's something specific. Um, right. So say that you're talking about Gothic novels, um, you could do something really interesting with an opening sentence about what Gothic novels do, what their purpose is. Um, you know, Gothic novels really play on our fears of, you know, this, 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 in this novel, um, this author does this. So. It, it's helpful to have a contextual opening sentence, um, but make sure that it is relevant to what you're talking about. Don't just kind of have massive generalizations that you're not then going to follow up on. Right. So it sounds yeah. like it's important to be more specific. Yeah. yeah. And really make sure your every single word is on topic. As you yes. said, there's shorter assignments. And so mm -hmm. really paying attention to being precise concise thinking mm -hmm. about your language I mean especially in an English degree I notice uh you know that the graders the professors they're paying a lot more attention to grammar and voc uh, vocabulary choice and stuff like that than say in um sociology mm -hmm. not to first years I mean vocabulary and grammar is important in sociology but I think yeah 
that's an important piece of the English degree is really, mm -hmm. we want you to be a very good writer. Yes. And, and it's a, I, I think social scientists, it's a bit more broad sweep. Like you look at the papers, it's broader sweeping history, philosophy, English, the humanities is really, really about precision with your language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And making sure that, um, you know, the, the big flowery language, um, I think it's also clear when a student has used a thesaurus and just kind of, you know, inserted a bigger word just to sound impressive. Um, and that's also not what they want, um, but they want to make sure that you know and understand the words that you're using, but that you are using sophisticated language. Um, because I, I do think a, a common problem that uh, especially first year students face is using colloquialisms, using everyday terms, using right. informal language. Um, so as long as it's formal and scholarly academic, um, you know, you don't have to use these massive words, but, but make sure that it is um, formal language that you are using. Right. So what would your third tip be? Um, I think the third tip sort of following on from that introductory part uh, would be the thesis statement. Um, that's so important. Um, it's the roadmap to the entire essay. Um, and sometimes professors just look at the thesis statement. Um, that's sometimes they really single in on that. Um, so you really want to make sure that that is strong. Um, right. And I'm not sure about every student, but I know for me, when I was in high school, I was told to sort of keep my big point a secret and sort of work up to it oh. in the essay to, to sort of reveal it at the end. Um, so I don't know if students are taught that in high school, but uh, that was something that I sort of had the mindset of, of like, I need to keep my, my, big, my big point a secret. Um, you don't want to do that at all. You want to reveal that right from the outset. You want to show exactly what you're going to do. Um, and with a thesis statement, it's, it's a very tough skill to master because right. you have to be concise. You right. have to explain exactly what your argument is and how you're going to argue that in a sentence or two. Um, so that's a very tough thing to do. Um, and obviously in, in upper years, that's, you know, it's, far more sophisticated in a first year in a first year class um you can just sort of state in this essay i will argue um a lot right. of professors are kind of okay with you signaling and signposting exactly what your thesis statement is in those terms um right. but as long as you make sure that it's clear what you're going to be addressing um and also including not necessarily in the thesis statement but the introduction overall is the name of the author in the text um, that's something that students seem to forget. And I think they're sort of so caught up. Yeah. And yeah. they just kind of forget to explain what they're going to be talking about. So that's a massive thing to, to remember to include in the introduction and leading into your thesis statement so that, you know, it's clear to the reader, what are you going to be talking about and, and whose work are you going to be discussing? So, yeah. Right. And I mean, I think this is important if you're a student and you're trying to get a decent grade or have the mm -hmm. grader understand your point, because I'm sure you can speak to this, you are grading a massive stack of papers within mm -hmm. a short period of time. Yeah. And, and this goes for high school teachers too. There's not a lot of time to figure out what is this person trying to say? Yeah. So, and that's why, and some graders go like, I look at the intro, look at the conclusion, then I look at the body. So mm -hmm. it's really important, as you said in the beginning, to have your 
introduction clear and that thesis statement clear so the person knows what to expect and then the other thing is that you know if you don't care too much about grades just want to be a good writer this mm -hmm. is also important because if you think about when you're doing research when you're looking through books when you're looking up journal articles what do you do you go to the intro or the conclusion mm -hmm. this is what i teach my students don't read the whole thing when go to the intro go to the conclusion or the abstract and you're literally looking for this person's thesis statement yeah. to figure out, is this an article I want to read? So you might think, oh, this is dumb. You know, they're too hard on me for this. But this is important for becoming a clear yeah. writer. And in fact, if you're reading, you're, you're, and I'm sure if you've read some articles and you're like, what is this article about? <laughs> yeah. Main idea. You know, yeah. that's frustrating. So think about, well, think about, you don't want someone to have that experience when reading your work, right? Mm -hmm. You want it to be clear. Yeah, exactly. And you want to make sure that the, you know, whoever is grading your paper knows upfront that you are going to address the question. Um, you don't want to have to get to sort of paragraph three or four for them to be like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, now we're getting to it. So you <laughs> want to do that from the outset. Yeah. Right. So just to summarize, just so just summarize, what are your three tips? Yeah, so the three tips are the so what question, um, making sure that you are concise, getting rid of anything that's redundant, um, and having a strong thesis statement. Um, so a lot of that is focused on the introduction, but I think that's a really good start to, to setting the, the tone for the rest of your paper. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's really good, good advice. Um, so we've been talking a lot about first year university students, undergraduate students. In, in Canada, in most provinces, English, you have to do well in English and not English language, English literature, to mm -hmm. go on to do post-secondary studies. It is weighted the same or sometimes higher than math and definitely many of the sciences. So even if you're gonna go off and do engineering, you, you do have to be able to, you know, master English. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for high school students, for high school English that might be different, or high school students in English going off to university? So like, as I said, even if you're in engineering, you're gonna have to take engineering English. Even if you're in science, most universities actually require you to take English 101. Mm -hmm. So there's a big difference between high school and university. What can these high school students do? Yeah, so I think um, first off, the, the difference between high school and university, like you're going to be reading so much more um, and that can be a massive shock to the system um, because you'll have multiple readings a week. You'll, especially for an English class, you could be reading a whole novel a week um, yeah, and just spend one or two lectures on it and then move <laughs> on. Um, and that's three or 400 pages that you just spent reading for, for one class and then you have to move on. So it is very fast paced. Um, and I think that that could be something that you could gradually get used to is, you know, increasing your reading. Um, I even recommend a lot uh, having like scheduling 
um, if you, especially if you kind of have like numerical mind, if you, if you like to think in numbers, breaking down the page numbers of, okay, you're going to read 25 pages today. Um, having a goal like that, that can really help people to sort of get to that point rather than just seeing it as like a massive tome of a book. And it's, right. you know, 400 pages. If you, if you break it down, that's really, that's a really good way of approaching it. Um, so that's something that high school students could um, you know, progressively get to that point of, of reading more, breaking it down so that it's manageable. Um, and hopefully by the time they get to university, that won't be as shocking and, and you know, sort of overwhelming. So that's kind of a, a good way to, to get into it. Um, another thing I think would be to um, sort of practice, um, even if it's not required at a high school level, just kind of practice when you're reading a book, going through and picking out things that um, you think are going to be important. So comments on uh, the setting, for example, or the character. Um, is there a massive plot point that's going to be important? Um, just kind of picking those out. And that's why those kind of uh, the, the colored tabs are really helpful or post-it notes, sticky notes, um, kind of if, especially if you're a visual learner, that could be a really helpful thing to do. Um, if you color code it and you say, okay, setting is going to be green. And so you know all the pages that you've tabbed that's a significant part of setting. Um, and what I mean by that is that, um, say that they introduce a new location in the novel and there's a description of the setting. Um, I always kind of go back to, to a Gothic setting because it's just, right. there's, there's so much to it. Um, but if they're kind of explaining the, the darkness and um, you know, the mystery shrouding the place, um, that's really good, important information for the setting so that for example, if you come back to analyzing it, you can go back to those green tapped pages, pull out those quotes, and that's half your work already done. Um, right. So again, even if that's not something required at high school level, it's good to just get into that kind of mindset of picking up the important things as you go. Right. Um, and so that's something that, especially if you do have to analyze the book at the end, um, you'll thank yourself so much when you get to the end and you've identified a lot of key parts, even if you don't use everything, which you probably right. won't, um, but it's, it's going to help you out in the long run so much. So that's definitely something that uh, you could practice. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? That sound, you could use that in any class. Psychology, yeah. math. Yeah. Like if you just start identifying patterns in the textbook, like, okay, mm -hmm. where's their definition? When are they talking about cognitive psychology or something? Yeah. So then you can, it'll help you a lot just going back with the studying. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think this, I, you're talking about reading fiction, mm -hmm. but we could apply these same strategies to reading nonfiction or learning yeah. nonfiction is figuring out, asking yourself those same questions. What is important? Mm -hmm. What's going to be important? You know, I guess obviously maybe you're not asking questions about setting. But, mm -hmm. but picking out those key points, you know, are there certain things repeating? So yeah. when you're talking about setting, you're really talking about something repeating or changing in the novel, right? Yes. And you could do the same thing in a text on, like I said, psychology, you mm -hmm. know, certain things come up and like, oftentimes there's an evolution of work, right? Mm -hmm. And how they interpret something and you could tab that. So that's a really good overall tip. Yeah, and it's a really good way to just kind of train your brain into thinking of those things and being able to quickly identify them. Because 
I know it can be quite alien for people to sort of, you know, put those tabs in initially and have to be like, oh yeah, I need to, to do that. But once you get going and you actually get used to it, um, it is a good way to just sort of train your brain into doing that. So yeah, it can definitely be applied to so many things as well. Right. And you yeah. know what, I'm going kind of off the tangent of going off on a tangent. I think this really speaks to the idea and the misconception. And I think a lot of this may, of us have it in high school. Mm-hmm. If we, at least I lived in a small town, like there's not people going to university, like university <laughs> or college is kind of like, <gasps> and it's a big it's deal. scary and like, oh my gosh, how are these people so smart? Mm-hmm. And just, there's a few people that have photographic memories and I've met those people in university. But most people have good study skills. And so yes. what you're talking about here is developing good study skills. Yeah. And that's really what will help you succeed. Mm-hmm. And not only in university, but when you go to work. I yeah. mean, depending on what you do, you're still going to have to read. You're still going to have to organize information. You're still going to have to communicate that information. Even if you're not working so much with words, if you're working with mm-hmm. numbers or you're visual an artist you do have to have a way to organize your work process so yeah I think a lot of people feel like oh I'm not smart enough or something Mm, no it's really just about learning how to organize and manage information and then Mm -hmm. communicate it to an audience that different audience in different ways in a way they can understand yeah and I think that's a good way of like to, to flip it, if you already do those things, um, you can definitely apply them to something like English if that's sort of unfamiliar to you. Um, so sometimes I know that people can sort of think like, oh, I, I'm not used to reading a lot and I don't know big words, that seems really intimidating. I'm only taking English as, as an elective. But if you already have those skills somewhere else, they're applicable other places too. So it definitely works across a variety of different places. So yeah, it's, it's really important to sort of identify those and then you can you can apply them yeah okay anything else to say about high school students or that um I would say just one more thing is that um I think it would be good to if you were reading a book for high school or or personally in your own time um write up a book review of it um Hmm. it's it's not going to be a book review at university level it's going to be far more than that (laughs) um but write up a book review uh you could you know post it on goodreads or you could keep it private um whatever you want to do but I think it that's a good way to sort of get you thinking thinking back on what you just read and thinking did I like this book what didn't I like about it did I understand it um what what is my mind going back to what part am I enjoying um to sort of get you engaging with those things um and so I think that would sort of be a good setup to when you do have to fully analyze a text um that's kind of getting you already in the process of thinking back on a text and and looking back and being able to identify those things so um writing book review I think that could really help that's interesting I when I taught uh last year I was teaching um high school Ontario high school English in China online Mm -hmm. and I gave them all an extra assignment of doing a book report in front of the class because Mm -hmm. for them speaking is actually often harder than writing they don't get a lot of practice speaking English but it was the same uh, at the end. I asked them, why did you, did you like this book? Why or why not? And they had mm-hmm. to think about, about that. And, you know, I also wanted them to identify literary devices or whatever. But um, that's a good point. 
you know, we often read things and we don't think about did we like it and why or why not? And just yeah. practicing that and sharing it. The mm-hmm. practice of writing it out, sharing it with your friend or online or on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um it's just a good practice for, you know, putting your ideas out there in general and having them evaluated or by others. Yeah. And even engaging with, you know, if you go and look up other people's reviews, I quite often do that when I finish a book, because I like to sort of know what, what everybody else is thinking. Um, that's a good way to sort of, in an informal amateur way, kind of be doing your own research, um, looking up what other people are doing and saying about that text. Um, so that's kind of, that's a good way to get into the practice of what you're then going to be doing for an English research paper of looking up scholarly opinions, if you're just looking up informal reviews online. Um, so that's, there's, there's an added element there that's really going to be helpful as well. Yeah. Tons of good advice in yeah. this podcast. <laughs> um, so a lot of people think, I mean, why would you do an arts degree? You're not going to get a job. And especially, especially, why are you doing an English degree in Canada? Like, are you going to be yeah. like a cell teacher? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so what do you think is the value of an English degree? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's yeah, that, that's a very common critique of it. Um, but it has so much value. Um, I don't think people sort of understand and appreciate the skills that you develop, um, you know, writing, reading close reading, being able to have observational skills, being able to sort of read between the lines. Um, that's really helpful in social situations. You know, you can apply those skills that you have to close reading and being able to identify something that the author isn't outright saying. Um, those things you can put into use in social situations. So there's there's so many ways that can be applicable in real life. Um, and I think, just, you know, the, the basic sort of reading and writing skills that you need in everyday life, in all kinds of walks of life and, and jobs, um, that's going to be useful too. But I think it also um, teaches empathy. I think it's, there's, there's a really sort of human emotional element to it too, um, because you spend so much time in, you know, the mind of a character or, you know, people from different cultural backgrounds, from all different, you know, characters. Um, and there's so much within a novel that I think you can learn about our real life and humans. Right. Um, and I think sometimes it's easier to sympathize with a fictional character than it is a real person. Um, right. And so when you sort of have those skills developed from fiction, then you can apply that to real life. Um, and so I think like there's there's so many kind of skills that go unnoticed. Um, it's not right. just, you know, about getting a well-paid job. Um, I think it's right. also things that make you a well-rounded being like so I think that's an important part of it yeah Mm -hmm. that's a good point there's so many thoughts in my head right now (laughs) but I'm this reminds me of the ancient Greeks you know Mm. because the ancient Greeks I'm not like a a specialist on Greek and on Greece or something but um I know that you know they would have festivals that were around plays and literature and and all of this stuff and part of the reason is that was part of your civic education mm-hmm. that going to these plays was about understanding like the values and morals of the society mm-hmm. of you know seeing yourself in these different characters of being able to talk about or get people to talk about or think about things that would be hard to just 
have a direct discussion about. Mm -hmm. So I think we kind of forget that because we live in a very more and more quantitative technical world, like robots are doing things for us now. Um, we forget that people are inherently storytellers. Yeah. Like if you talk to someone, when you meet someone, I guarantee you the people you think are the most engaging are not the people with all the facts and not the people with, you know, the fancy handbag maybe, but if they can tell you a really funny story about how they got this handbag and they dropped it in a puddle and this little dog ran off with it and you know you're going to get engaged with the handbag or the person mm -hmm. so i think yeah being able to tell stories being able to take from stories these lessons and then i think another thing i'm a really huge fan of this channel called school of life and one thing on there, there's one video and it's kind of about uh, loneliness or smart people being lonely or something. But one piece is that you can always find connections in books. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we're alone, like say during COVID and we can't go out and see people, you know, I don't think it's not surprising to me that like Netflix viewing went up you know, people were ordering all these books because as you said, you can connect with a fictional character and, and uh, in a way that's different than maybe even the person sitting next to you on the couch watching the show on Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, there's something about literature that and, our, and using our imagination that just taps into a part of ourselves we can't get necessarily walking down the street, going to the grocery store or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think you bring up a really good point there that, yeah, and you know, it's important to be a well-rounded human being. Yeah. And I know like for me, I enjoyed English classes a lot because it felt like a big book club where we could all talk about our opinions and our interpretations. And maybe for someone in, in psychology, that could be really fascinating to actually observe everyone's different interpretations and how that reflects on, on humans. So maybe there is even like a social sciences aspect to it. But um, I think that's just a really important part of like being able to listen to someone else. Um, and because there's no one right answer um, I think some people can really struggle with that but I think that's also the beauty of it too is that there are so many different interpretations and everyone can have different opinions on it and as long as that's sort of respectfully appreciated and understood um, you can have right. some really good conversations from that yeah mm -hmm. and that's also another point of maybe how it's transferable is that in the world our world's very complex and you know we have these problems say with like climate change and global mm -hmm. warming and you know you have to have a kind of creative mind collaborative sense of humanity to solve these big problems and so something as simple as talking about different interpretations in a in an English class you know we could translate that to like what are the different ways we can solve this massive global issue yeah so those critical thinking skills are really valuable Mm -hmm. 
no matter what you go off and do. So, okay, it sounds like a lot of good takeaways from your English class, mm -hmm. your English degrees. Um, what, is there any sort of takeaway in terms of writing? Mm. Yeah, I think um, my sort of main takeaway with writing especially was that there's so many ways to phrase things and, you know, put things in a sentence and everybody's going to have a different way of doing it. So I, I think like that's so, you know, amazing that everyone can have a different voice and style and everyone can be tasked with the same thing, but not say it in the same way. Um, and so I think a big takeaway for me is that um, it's okay to not write something the same way that someone else does. Um, there's definitely ways of improving your writing style. Obviously, there's, there's, you know, there's so many ways of making sure that you can be like concise and you can use appropriate language and, and all of those things that we've been discussing that's, you know, a helpful tips. Um, right. But at the end of the day, I think it's really, I think it's, it's amazing that everyone can have their own kind of style. Um, right. And I think like that was something, especially in the beginning, if you're, you know, entering university and you're overwhelmed and you're thinking, is everybody so much smarter than me? And what's that person saying? How are they saying it? And you end up comparing yourself to someone else. Right. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you're never going to write something the same way as someone else. Um, right. And I think that should be seen as like a, a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like art. I mean, yeah, me, exactly. I really, I like editing papers. To me, it's like a puzzle. It's like mm -hmm. I got, I have all these words and punctuation and a certain, especially if I have to cut something down, the word count. Mm -hmm. Because now I have this constraint and I have to figure out how do I say that what this person's trying to say within this small space and I yeah. have to keep rejigging the puzzle and rejig until I can fit it into this little so it's like, it's not a Rubik's Cube. It's, I don't know, what's something where you'd have to put it in a, a specific thing? It's remind me of those childhood toys where you like put the square and the square and the circle and the circle and the triangle and the triangle. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. you can't put the triangle in the square, you know? And it's like mm -hmm. that kind of process. So yeah, that's a really good point. Just learning, I guess, learning to... Mm -hmm to trust your own voice is what you're saying yeah yeah and really what you're doing is just learning the principles of writing and then mm -hmm. once you know those then you can apply them in whatever way you know resonates with you yeah yeah absolutely so um i like obviously you like books <laughs> And one thing I like to do at the end is have our guests give a few book recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, what would be one or two or three books, whatever, I'm not sure <laughs> how many you have there, that you would recommend to an incoming student or someone taking an English class? Mm -hmm. um, well, first off, I would start with the additions. Um, there's so many different editions, especially if you're working with classics, um, because quite often first year university classes, um, they'll have sort of those big name classic novels. Um, and so you want to make sure that you have an edition that's going to help you. Um, so an edition that I like is the um, Broadview Press editions. Um, and so those are the ones that have a specific editor who writes the introduction to the novel. Um, they annotate, they have footnotes. Um, and they have appendices at the end with sources from other scholars. 
Um, so that's a really helpful place to start with your research too, if you have that edition. Um, and it can be really helpful for those sort of big, dense, classic novels. Um, if you're unfamiliar with them, if you haven't really read them before and you just come into it and it's so intimidating, if you just have someone who's already pointing out the old fashioned language and the sort of modern phrasing that we would use in, in the footnotes, yeah. that's really helpful. So um, it's, it's definitely good to have an edition that's going to, to do that for you. Um, and I would, I would recommend the, the Jane Eyre one. Um, it was edited by a professor of mine, Richard Emisfari. So um, I really enjoyed, we actually read Jane Eyre in a Victorian class that he taught. Um, so that was really amazing that we sort of had to had that conversation with the editor of a novel. Um, so that was really great. So I think those kind of um, classics are really good to have as well. Um, so, you know, your, the Jane Eyre, Great Expectations, um, really sort of, I know this could be really intimidating, but those are big novels that are assigned in first year university classes. Um, so it's really helpful to sort of, you know, get those under your belt. Um, and I think too, I know for me, I like short stories. Um, I think those can be a really helpful way to sort of transition into literary analysis, um, you know, things that you're going to be analyzing at university level. So yeah. I recommend um, Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Birthmark. Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne is the author of The Scarlet Letter, if, if that's sort of, you know, quite um, famous. And I think that's a really good short story that's jam-packed full of metaphors, um, literary devices. There's so much content in there to analyze. So I think that's a good start to sort of be able to pick out those things. Um, and I'd also recommend the short stories of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, oh, yeah. I just, it's, it's just perfect for this time of the year as well. Um, I just, I, I love Edgar Allan Poe and his stories. And I think there's so much to sort of work through in that too. So um, those are some really sort of great things to, to sort of sink your teeth into and, and get into that analysis. So um, yeah, those are kind of the, the, the things I would suggest someone sort of coming in that they want to get a head start. Okay, that's a big list. So yeah. broad view editions, Jane mm -hmm. Eyre, Great Expectations, yeah. but that's Dickens, right? Yes. Um, short Stories of Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. I missed the Scarlet Letter guy. What's that? Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Birthmark. Okay, The Birthmark. Mm -hmm. And there's something else you said, I forgot. <laughs> uh, I think that was it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I think I, d I have most of, I don't have that short story, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, Poe has some great stuff. And yeah. if you just read about him, like, you can understand. Why yeah. so <laughs> you get why it's so dark. <laughs> um, okay, well, great. I think there's a lot of good stuff in this short interview. So I hope that English students, high school students will listen to this and Thanks so much, or have listened to it if it's the end. Um, thanks so much for coming in and being our guest today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been really enjoyable to sort of break this down and discuss it. So, yeah. You're welcome. This would be like, this should be called like writer nerd, writer nerds chat or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can find out more about Natalia on our website, www.bow.ca. And stay tuned for a short meditation and writing exercise that this week is going to be led by Natalia. So stay tuned for that. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for an interview with Natalia about literary analysis 101. And as usual, 
we have a short meditation and writing exercise. So if you're listening to our podcast this week, we're going to be doing the writing exercise with Natalia. Um, if you're tuning into our YouTube video, you can check out the whole interview with Natalia about, you know, some really great tips for starting first year English in university or even if you're in high school. And the link will be in the YouTube description. So today, Natalia has a really good writing tip based on part of the discussion in the interview about either how to start a book review or we could say this is just three things to think about after you finish reading a book. Take it away. So for today's writing prompt, um, we're going to be discussing three things to reflect upon after you finish reading a book. Um, so the first thing is you have to identify what is one thing that you liked about this book. Um, do I sort of keep? All right, take two. Okay, so today's writing prompt is three things to reflect upon after you finish reading a book. Um, and I'm going to be doing this along with you. And today the book I'm gonna be discussing is If We Were Villains by Emma L. Rio. Um, so the first question is, what is one thing that you liked? So for uh, this book, um, one thing that I really liked about this book was um, the setting. I really appreciated and enjoyed the academic setting. Um, it's about students who are at a performing arts college um, and they all study Shakespearean plays. Um, and I really enjoyed the aspect of the, the school setting and I really enjoyed getting into the plays with the characters um, and having all of the different characters be an archetype from a Shakespearean play. Um, it's a really interesting way to entwine various different um, historical literature with a modern take on it. Um, so that was something I really enjoyed about this book. So uh, the second thing to consider is theme that sticks in your mind from the book. Um, this is something that maybe after you finish reading, you keep coming back to that moment. Um, so for this book, um, there was a scene where they were performing a Shakespearean play by the lake at night. Um, and it was so, the image was so vivid. Um, the, the language that the author uses, the, the way that it was all sort of pointing to the climax of the, the, of the scene. Um, I really enjoyed that and it sort of it sticks in my mind because I can see it so visually. Um, there were sort of the, the starry nights and um, the climax of the scene being a, a death um, and it was it was very dramatic and um, I can definitely sort of see that playing in my mind um, and so that's that's a scene that I always go back to. And the final thing to consider after you finish reading a book is uh, something a bit more critical. Um, what didn't you like about the book um, maybe something that you didn't understand, um, something that, you know, you, you want to explore more or just kind of um, need to sort of think about a bit more. Um, and I think for this book, um, for me, it was the sort of moral choices of the characters. Um, I think it was really interesting to entwine the characters with the Shakespearean archetypes. As I said, that was something I really liked. Um, but at the same time, I think that's so steeped in the history of the Shakespearean play that you really need to know the characters from the Shakespearean play to be able to understand the characters' motives in this book. 
Um, so I think that's something that is kind of a hindrance to this book that you need to know Shakespeare inside out to be able to sort of really appreciate and understand the characters. Um, so that was just something that I felt afterwards that I would maybe need to kind of go back and, and reread some Shakespearean plays um, to kind of appreciate that. So um, that's just kind of my sort of more critical part. Um, and this is just kind of a good practice to be able to um, reflect upon what you've read and be able to identify good and bad things um, so that when you come to fully analyzing a book um, at a university level, you'll be able to identify these things a lot easier. Um, okay, is that okay? Yeah. So thanks everyone for tuning into our podcast or watching our and taking part in our writing exercises. We really appreciate you tuning in. To find out more about FAO, you can check us out on our website at www.fao.ca or follow us on Instagram at FAO underscore academic writing. If you need some extra support with your essays, applications, or, you know, even maybe you're going out into the job world, we're here to help you. And uh, we look forward to helping you reach the full potential on the page today. Take care. That is During this breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen, just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position, but one in which you will not fall asleep. Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles. Your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. Sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose. Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, 
Allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing. See the air inside your body after you inhale, filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath. Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. One. Exhale. One. Inhale. One. Exhale. One. Continue to count each inhalation exhalation as one. Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you, feel the floor beneath you, feel the clothes against your body, Wiggle your fingers and toes. Shrug your shoulders. Open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer. Straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. Hi guys, Lisa Fow here at Fow Academic Writing with this week's writing tip. So for those of you who listened to our podcast interview with Braden Wolf and his company Remarkable Rejects, This tip is inspired by that podcast interview. You can check it out um, in the link below. And if you're listening to the podcast right now, thanks for listening to that great interview. And we're going to try to do a little short writing exercise that is also up on YouTube. So if you want to see the video of the writing exercise, you can go on to YouTube and check it out. So Braden talked a little bit about some challenges he faced as a recent graduate starting a business. And the thing he didn't expect was the challenges with dealing with people and creating a team that um, functions well and you know he can count on, he can trust. I think no matter what you do, It is challenging to work with people, whether you're a business owner, you're a manager, or you're even in a group project in school. So I wanted to use that problem to create a a writing exercise related to motivation. So I think there's two different ways. Braden talked about incentivizing people. And for example, they switched from paying drivers hourly to paying them based on the number of boxes they delivered. That's one way to manage people. But from my perspective, I think a really good team functions well 
when there are shared values and some sort of sense of trust or loyalty. And so this writing exercise is really more inspired by understanding your values and the values of others. So what I want you to do is to get out your pen and paper and I want you to kind of close your eyes, take some deep breaths. And I want you to remember yourself as a child. Maybe you're five, maybe you're eight. Remember yourself as a child. Um, try to tap into a happy moment or a happy memory as that child and just kind of like we'll give you about three minutes once you've kind of captured that moment or memory in your mind and i want you just to to describe it to write it down so i'm gonna just you can pause the podcast or the video set yourself a timer for three minutes and um write down that childhood memory. Hi guys, so hopefully you have had a fruitful three minutes. I'm just gonna share what I wrote. I would say it's not my best writing, but I had a clear vision of being about four years old and swimming in the local swimming pool. So here it is. Floating around in the local swimming pool, a four-year-old fish, I love the freedom of the water, my buoyant body flopping around, imagining myself as a mermaid or dolphin, the bubbles rising up around me, tickling my nose and making a crackling sound in my ears. The peace and openness of the underwater world. Kicking, wriggling, diving, grabbing rings off the bottom of the pool, my eyes open, staring at the legs of all the other swimmers diving under my mom's legs, scraping my tummy along the bottom, happy, free, and full of joy and life and possibility. So what is the point of this? How is this related to like working in a team, motivation, values? I think, you know, our values, our sense of self is more clear actually when we're a child than when we're an adult. Because as we become an adult, all these other expectations are put on us. So it's always good to kind of go back to childhood memories to help us to connect a bit better with who we are and what we believe in. So just from this little writing I've done, and it's a good uh, reminder for me, I can pull out some values. So one thing I say a few times is freedom. So something about swimming underwater is very free. And that's why it gave me a lot of joy. Um, another thing is kind of imagination or creativity. Because I imagine myself as a mermaid or dolphin. I kind of see the dis different possibilities. I'm diving for rings and under my mom's legs. And it's kind of a fun underwater world. Um, Another thing is just joyful, joy or happiness. I, I like this memory because it just feels very fun. I love the swimming pool as a kid. I still love swimming. 
So it just gives me a sense of joy or happiness or contentment, which is really important to me. Like you look around, um, even in the videos, the background, I, I create kind of a fun, um, creative, joyful space that brings me joy just to like stare at the wall. Uh, so those are three values that I pulled out from this exercise. So I suggest you kind of do the same thing. Take a look at what you wrote and see what emotions or values it's communicating to you. Are there some words you repeat a few times? Is there image, is there some imagery that connects to a certain sense of, of being or some values you have? Now, why is this important to like teams or working with people? So in the podcast, I asked Brayden, did you change your hiring process? And I know for me, as I grew the business, I changed the hiring process to be very clear on what kind of values am I looking for? What kind of mindset am I looking for in the staff that I, I have joined my team? And I adjusted the questions like that. So I think being clear on who you are and what your values are is the first step in building teams around you with people who have a shared kind of worldview, a shared sense of purpose. And when you have that, it's much easier to communicate. It's much easier to build trust. It's much easier to build a team or a group where people are working together toward a common goal. So that's my writing exercise for today. Go back to your childhood memories, write one up, and from that, pull out some of your core values. And as you go forward, as you're looking for jobs or you're working with people on projects in school or you're joining a student club or whatever you're doing, being clear on those values and who you are will help you to connect with the right people so that you can work together well and you can do something together that you all care about and you're more likely to succeed. So thank you so much for tuning in to either our YouTube video or our podcast to listen to this writing exercise. We hope you enjoyed um, our interview with Braden Wolf of Remarkable Rejects. If you listen to the full podcast and you're now at the writing exercise, or check it out on our YouTube channel or on uh, Anchor. We have links to both of them through our website. To find out more about FAO academic writing, you can check out our website at www.fao.ca, which will be in the link below, or follow us on social media at FAO underscore academic writing. If you need any extra support with your academic studies or writing skills, you can send us a message anytime. We look forward to helping you reach your full potential on the page and in life. And take good care, everyone. We'll see you soon.